there's a world I would imagine where I take the time to figure out what is a specific problem that I want to solve uh, and become the CEO of that company. But frankly to me, that's way less interesting than uh, as I meet people and somebody's solving a problem that they're really passionate about that I can intuitively understand is going to be big, just joining that, helping it get to that level, uh, and sticking with it until we can find somebody strong to replace me. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories, and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. This is episode two of a three-part mini-series recorded at Tech Open Era in Berlin with Isiad Ferreras, ex-COO of conversational marketing software Hustle, a peer-to-peer -peer texting platform. In this part of the interview, we dive much deeper into Hustle's value proposition. We find out about the huge learning power of filling multiple roles, especially being a sales engineer in SaaS, why he usually prefers being a COO to a CEO, and his unusual relationship with sleep. Hustle is a messaging app that empowers organizers to connect with supporters over text message both personally and efficiently. Uh, and, I, and I know, by the way, that Salesforce Ventures uh, participated in A and B rounds there, and they're, they're, they're almost a beacon for something that's going to be successful. They're, they're such a good hit rate. Um, just tell me a little bit about Hustle and what made it so successful as a product. Sure. So, so the problem that we solve is that, so like imagine you're trying to talk to a bunch of people, right? Our, our, our largest, our, our biggest early customer was uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign. Very cool campaign. And what he was doing is, he was trying to capitalize on the enthusiasm that people had for him. And it was all ramping up very quickly. And when you're, when you're building a political campaign, one of the most important tools you have is candidate time, right? So Bernie Sanders is personal time. How do you maximize it, right? So it got to the point where they were like, well, let's see if we can have him show up here and we can fill up, say, a football stadium with people. Well, to do that, you need to message a bunch of people and let them know that he's gonna be at that football stadium, right? So what Hustle allowed, allowed them to do was get the phone numbers of probable Bernie Sanders supporters upload them into our system, and then have a bunch of their volunteers very quickly and in a personalized manner, individually text message every single one of those people, and then respond to everybody who replied to them. This is done by humans and not by robots, right? So these aren't chatbots that are doing it. Um, that's, the, that's the thing that we did. And then when you think about the, the full life cycle of that communication, many of the people listening to this are sales leaders. You know, you know, if it's not in Salesforce, if it's not in whatever your CRM of choice is, it didn't happen. Well, all of those text message conversations would sync back to their uh, to their CRM. In their case, it was this uh, campaign management tool called NGP Van, right? So they would have all these conversations back and forth using our tool, and then they would sync up to NGP Van, and they were able to drive additional decisions and, and track people as RSVP'd. They were able to let people know, hey, here's when the primary's gonna be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we worked with the Bernie Sanders campaign. They did that. The Hillary Clinton campaign used us as well. Um, they did that. Now we work with, I think, every single state party, um, and, uh, no, no, wait, sorry. We, there's a handful that we don't work with in the U.S. Um, by the time this comes out, we'll probably be working with the DNC as well. I mean, we've worked with them in the last election cycle. Um, but now we're, 
doing a bigger deal. Uh, there's there's a lot uh, there, there's there's a lot going on, but that's that's that, that's a main problem that we solve in that context. And then of course for sales leaders, we solve the problem of well, you have all these AEs, they're having conversations. Uh, the best way to tell whether their whether their relationship is advancing is are they communicating people in their preferred manner? Well, nowadays that's text message, right? So when I'm when somebody's forecasting a deal, and I'm looking at what's the level of what's the level of depth of the relationship with their champion, I tell them to take out their cell phone. And if I don't see a text message, if they can't show me a text message thread with the person that they're claiming is their champion, I'm like, I'm sorry, like. What like like this probably isn't a real conversation, and I'm sure you know you and any other listeners like this might resonate with them. Uh, that's just how people communicate now. Absolutely, um, uh, it's it's very fun. it's always amusing for me to hear uh, things like um, if it's not in Salesforce, it didn't happen because of course we were all saying that internally, and it just seems like the memes all all, all most of the memes succeeded. So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, did the cloud agnostic approach, I'm taking you back and forth a, a little bit, Isia, did the cloud agnostic approach of Elastic Box, another company you had a, a leadership role in, uh, that cloud agnostic approach to building apps, has, did that stay in your head and has that affected your approach to something I'm very excited to hear about, which is labelbox.com? Yeah, so what's funny about Elastic Box is, you know, I joined as a sales engineer and by the time I left, I was just like the director of sales engineering. Um, there's a lot of things that I learned there. Um, I, I, I'd say that a lot of what I learned there was that it was, was around how you pitched products, um, sale, sales cycles, you, you know, we had, we had some, pretty, some pretty large clients there. Um, but were you a sales engineer? And sales engineer in that. Yeah. So you were building the demos out and, and, and working with the sales guys closely, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So, so that was that was the thing. So I went from being the managing director at jQuery Pillar to I wanted to get like a real in-depth um, training on how enterprise sales works. So I just looked at it as like, well, if I were trying to set myself up to be uh, a, an executive at a place like GE. They, I'd be bouncing around to the different jobs that, that I'd want to do. Well, I just made that happen for myself by moving out to Silicon Valley and getting an enterprise sales, uh, enterprise sales role. And the one that I thought I would learn the most from the fastest would be a sales engineer one because then I would get to work with multiple AEs, see different styles, um, see, what, see people having different levels of quota attainment, and see, see differences there. So it was a very tactical and strategic move for me to take that sort of job. Uh, and then, you know, after doing it and learning, I, I switched to leading sales teams, and you know, and then you know, went back up to uh, the C level, which is where I'm more, where it's, it's where I'm most comfortable. Uh, but I, I think that it's extremely important uh, for me to have gotten that kind of in the trenches knowledge before going back up to the level that I was most comfortable at. You know? there, there's no doubt. I, I, I left Salesforce twice, but the second, the first time I came back. Uh, I went a couple of levels down lower to do sales because I knew I didn't know enough about it. Uh, yeah. But I worked at CSM, sales engineer uh, training, and there's, there's nothing like that uh, that kind of co-face role to yeah. to inform you at a later point in time. Yeah, definitely. And and also I felt like uh, it's kind of it, it was just kind of interesting, you know, this this idea that I could float around between different C-level roles because I don't have a college degree. Um, I don't like, like there's, there's, so, there's so many things that I don't have, uh, but somehow or another just, there's, there's certain intangibles about leadership that people seem to be able to pick up on 
Uh, so that's the, that's the position they want to slot me in. And, um, but also I was like in my 20s at that time and definitely didn't want to let it get, it get to my head and didn't want it to um, limit my potential later on. Well, I, I can say from experience, because I have plenty of those letters, that's my name, uh, you're much smarter than most people I've ever studied with, so uh, you, your mind is working faster, I can, I can feel it. Um, uh, one thing that strikes me about you, Isiad, is that um, you seem to fall in love with the, uh, the COO role, the Chief Operations Officer role, and you know, when we were talking, you were talking about how a strong COO builds strong leaders and leaves the ship in good shape. Is that the core reason why you, because obviously you get bored, you want to go on and do another project, and but you, want to, you, you care about the, 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 the teams you build. Is that the core reason why you're so comfortable in that COO position? Well, I think any, anybody that I'm working with as a CEO is going to be a pretty smart person. And when you're, the company, the phase that I've really enjoyed working at is that inception stage when you're going from very little to no revenue uh, to the point where you've got a, a, a round of a, a rung of real strong VP leadership and you start getting to the point where you can attract uh, real qualified C-level people. Uh, so in that case, you really benefit from having a product-focused CEO. Uh, who under, really deeply understands the pain points of customers and had this idea, had this itch that they really wanted to scratch. Uh, so in that case, the absolute best person to run the company is usually gonna be that person who had that idea, right? So that product-focused CEO. And then uh, what I look at as my job is my job is to take all of the business, all of the tactical execution pieces of, of running a business, make that something that they don't worry about so they can focus on solving customer problems, and I'll make sure that we hire strong in-house counsel, that we set up good HR policies, that um, a sales and marketing team is spun up and we're handling all of that effectively. Um, I'll, I'm happy to handle and love handling uh, the, the initial sales um, and, and really just making sure that we, once we get to product market fit, we really maximize that piece. So that's what I, I, I really like that aspect. Uh, and so there's a world, I would imagine, where I take the time to figure out what is a specific problem that I want to solve uh, and become the CEO of that company. But frankly to me, that's way less interesting than uh, as I meet people and somebody's solving a problem that they're really passionate about that I can intuitively understand is going to be big, just joining that, helping it get to that level, uh, and sticking with it until we can find somebody strong to replace me. Yeah, you, you, you strike me as a very hands-on leader, and uh, in a good way. You're an empowering one, but hands-on at the same time. Uh, and I guess when a, when a company gets to a certain size, uh, that might impact on, on, on how engaged you feel uh, with, with the, I'm guessing. Um, yeah. Uh, you look fit and strong, uh, and I saw you catching a little bit of slumber over there uh, in between things. Um, but on the other side of it, you were telegramming uh, the group, uh, the speakers group, hey, is anybody going out tonight at 11.30? And, and I think you and I must have been talking on Telegram until two in the morning last night. Yeah. Uh, are you a bit of a vampire? I know I'm a vampire. Are you a bit of a vampire? Do you sleep very little? Uh, I'm, in, I'm in Berlin now, so you know, I definitely wanted to stay out. So I was, I was out until about 4 a.m. or so last night. Um, <laughs> but you keep I'm, fit I'm a, though, I'm a, right? I'm a very, yeah, I, I make sure that I, I, I work out on a regular basis. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I have a very erratic sleep schedule. Um, I just kind of sleep when I'm tired and then I wake up when I'm done uh, for the most part, yeah. 
that's a gift. I, I can't do that. I can't do it in the middle of the day. So you were you actually were dead asleep there at the table there a couple of hours <laughs> yeah. ago. That is a yeah. gift. <laughs> um, do you have time for hobbies? Sorry, or, what or is that? Hobbies. Do you use what the word? That? A hobby is like a, a pastime uh, that would have nothing to do with your work. Oh, uh, oh okay, yeah, hobbies. Um, yeah. That's so, my pronunciation. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so my, my hobbies are, I take part in creative writing projects. Um, I also do some, some non-profit work, um, particularly with, uh, with children who come from disadvantaged backgrounds and helping them break into tech and kind of have career development stuff. So I like mentoring people on that, on that front. Um, you, I, you mentioned that you let the, the kids uh, uh, or the young people in, in your area uh, come in and do their do some coding problems and do some homework and do whatever and just be around the startup uh, yeah. because you because you tend to have all these hot desks that are empty as you grow. Uh, has yeah. that been very enriching for the company? Uh, yeah, it's been enriching for the company. Uh, I, I'm right now working to expand that beyond just the companies that I work at to work with a bunch of other people as well. And the benefit that I find that people have when they when they do this is that first all of the employees can get a little bit more used to uh, seeing people who don't necessarily look like them at their company, uh, which allows them to think of themselves as a more inclusive, more diverse uh, set of set of people immediately. Uh, so that's so that's a thing, uh, and yeah, I, I find it to be very very empowering, very enriching all around. It's a cultural exchange program more than it is just a, a handout to uh, uh, to people who need help. In the next and final part of this three-part mini-series, Isiad will talk about the connection between diversity and hustle success, and why being intentional about who one spends one's time with is extremely important. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thank you to Ketsu for music provided under a Creative Commons license. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoy the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.